Hello and welcome to From the Top, I'm Alexei Korolev. And in this episode, it's all about money. Money underpins most of what we do, and not always in a good way. Karl Marx described it as the universal whore, the universal pimp of men and peoples. But money isn't simply banknotes and coins or rentries in a register. It's not a commodity. It's more like a social contract. It's a thing by which we exchange goods and services, not for which. In this sense, swing dancing is just as much about money as any other human activity. The problem with swing dancing, however, is that its financial system is extremely opaque. There's no coherence to it, no universally acknowledged prices or tariffs. But it's not the only problem. Um, well, I don't know about not necessarily being a full-time dancer, but like depending on uh, Lindy Hop and its associated dances for income seems it's not a sure thing. That's Jerry Almonte. He's a dancer, photographer, organizer, and blogger based in Washington, D.C., who has observed the swing dance community for years. We're still kind of a developing community. Obviously, some people make a living at it. Uh, not a lot of people make a good living at it. I know a lot of teachers who are just getting by. I know some people who make entire their entire salaries from doing one event. Uh, but I also know some events that barely break even. There's no sure thing currently right now. There's no sure. There's no surefire formula for making uh, a career as I don't want to say just as an artist, but as, just as anything in the as a business person within the Lindy Hop community, whether it's a photographer or event organizer or a blogger or a podcaster. I mean, there's not a lot of you might be able to make some side money, but most of the people I know, this is a side income, and they have to do. They usually have a full time job, or they do something else altogether. Um, and I think that's part of the reason for that is because there isn't uh, the community is still kind of developing in a sense, even though it's been the modern community has existed for about 30 years. But we're still into that phase of transitioning from a group of friends hanging out. Let's have fun to. All right, we're going to make this is a career that I can make a lot of money or decent amount of a decent living out of and possibly retire comfortably. Uh, out of like I don't see anyone doing that. Uh, but do you think there are also internal reasons? You know that there are some obstacles within yeah. those forming communities. Uh, well, it, I had an interesting conversation with someone from Europe recently. We compared, or he was from Germany, is from Germany, and they were talking about uh, the demographics of the Lindy Hop scene in the United States versus uh, what he's used to in Europe and in Germany. And because uh, he was an event here in the United States and he noticed that everyone was very young. And I was like, yeah, that's uh, much of the traveling in Lindy Hop community uh, is in college or just out of college. So what that means is that they don't have a lot of money. They're not very well established. So they have a lot of free time, but they don't have a lot of money. So events, instructors, everyone's got to gear their price structure towards them. Uh, or they currently are, they don't have to, I mean, the market it can only uh, currently, at least in the United States, can only sustain, you know, however it is, like a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars for a large event, uh, for a weekend, or maybe a hundred dollars for a private lesson. I don't know. So that's a that's a major thing that's uh, that's affecting uh, the Lindy Hop scene, at least in the United States. Yeah, there are a lot of factors that'll try. People are gonna have to try to work around just simple traveling. Even that, even if we don't worry about the future. Uh, the way people approach traveling, at least teachers, is very shady right now. 
and there's only a there's a certain point where that's going to become un, that's another thing that's going to be unsustainable because you can get away with it ten years ago before social media and before like there's a lot of uh, things on the internet. But uh, they're right now, but people don't go through the they don't go through the proper channels to travel because it's too expensive and it's too much of a hassle. But they're catching up. They're, they're, it's just going to get harder and harder. Yeah, that's that, that, that's interesting that you mentioned that and that you use that word shady because I mean I also find a lot of the dealings, you know, in terms of who travels where and how and who pays for the, you know, whatever. That's just unknown. That's completely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lindy Hop kind of functions as a sort of under, an underground economy. Because I know people who just get they pay me in cash, and, and then you run. Of course, you run the risk of you know sometimes uh, some countries will have a, a prohibition. If you have an actual amount of cash on you, they will actually require you to declare it, and they'll say, "Why do you have all of this money?" Because the only reason why that happens usually is because you're doing something illegal. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, the only way to get around that. Well, one of the ways to get around that is if there's actually more money to make it worth for people to do everything above ground because right now everything is just expensive enough to make it inconvenient people just kind of skirt the law uh, as much as they can but uh if they got more money for these things then it would be worth then it would be legal but who's going to pay for that if you got it you don't need it if you need it you don't got it you don't get it shame on you funny 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 what money can do them that have it so my name is Mandy Gould, and I'm from the Toronto Swing Dance community. I actually live outside of Toronto now. Near to give an insight into just how hard-running swing dance business is, I have Mandy Gould on the line from Canada. Mandy is a veteran swing dancer who was one of the organizers of Frankie 100. For nearly five years, she managed a full-time dance studio in Toronto, but eventually had to quit and shut it down. Listen to Mandy explain what happened. I had one location where I was very lucky we were renting by the hour but in a steady location that belonged to us we had a room inside of a school that was dedicated to us and on short notice we lost the space and had to make a quick decision and relocate to another more expensive studio which I had for a couple of years so all in all it was um, a huge success in every way except financial I like to say I learned a lot about the finances I wasn't willing to live too poorly I mean you do have to live hmm. And what was the name of that studio? So it still exists. It's no longer under me. Uh, it's called Bees Knees Dance, and it exists in Toronto. I actually had it as a part-time uh, studio for many years, so I think uh, probably Bees Knees Dance has existed since about 1999, fall of 99, and it still hmm. exists. But was it only that switch from the uh, per hour basis to a more permanent one that and, and did you? So originally it was more of a hobby. It was just uh, one or two nights a week in other dance studios. Then we went to four nights a week plus workshops in a dedicated space, but um, not 100% my overhead. And then finally I went to a studio that was completely my lease. Uh, I, one of the challenges we had was the location. We picked the best location in the city of Toronto. It's the busiest intersection. It's where uh, at Young and Bloor, where two subway lines meet, but you pay more. You know, it was a decision we had to make. It's a great location. It's great for the students, but it's more expensive. And there are challenges when you have 
a full-time studio, it doesn't mean that you have full-time classes going on. There's only so many hours that you can fill with Lindy Hop classes. And then you can try to find other kinds of dance to rent at the other times of the day and on weekends. So on the weekends, we had a lot of groups. We had salsa and just all sorts of things going on. Um, And people would rent by the hour from us, the way that I used to from other places. But one of the challenges that became really unsurmountable for us was the lead follow ratio. That was probably our biggest undoing. We had huge interest from women who generally did want to follow. We certainly encouraged people to try either role. At a certain point, you can't just keep letting in those followers into your classes without balancing the ratio. It's not going to be fun for them. It's not going to be a successful class. We would do all sorts of things to make it attractive for people to come and help out in the classes. You know, we had more experienced leaders. We had people who already knew how to follow who we would let take the classes for free to learn how to lead. But that ongoing battle of the lead follow ratio was very challenging. And I think if you were a tap studio or something, I mean, that's also got a popularity problem. But you don't have the same kinds of problems in non-partnered dancing. I'm sure they have other problems, but that was big for us. So what are the lessons that you took from that? Well, the lessons is definitely not being too optimistic about managing that overhead. You know, the math looks good on paper where you think, okay, I've got this much rent and these are my costs and this is how many classes I have to have each week and this is how many students I have to have. It looks good on paper and it seems very doable, but the reality doesn't always work out that way. I mean, I think one of the big challenges in Lindy Hop, no matter what a big city you live in, how great your scene is, you really rely on Lindy Hop on the most passionate dancers. You know, you get that core of the true Lindy Hoppers who just love it. They want to dance all the time. We had people who were coming to our classes many nights of the week, maybe even four or five times a week. And that was terrific. But at a certain point, those people will get tired. It's not just that they're going to run out of money themselves. They're either going to get tired and they won't be able to do as many classes or they get good, (laughs) which is great. You want them to get good enough. But they also, at a certain point, people become so good that they stop feeling that they need your classes. Even if you offer advanced classes, people's learning needs change as they become more experienced. So keeping that much of a core of enthusiastic, driven people, it can be limiting. You know, one month your classes are totally full every day of the week and suddenly you realize that 12 of those students have gotten tired and need a break and it hits your bottom line. It really does. So that was very interesting. I mean, that wonderful core of dancers, like it was their home. They were almost living at the studio. Uh, One thing I liked to do, we had a very friendly, we kind of treated it like a clubhouse, the, the studio, which I think was great. And a lot of people had keys. I had a trust system where if it was off hours and some of those really loyal students wanted to come and practice, there was a spot where they could put some rent money in a little locked mailbox. Things like that were terrific. And I think people really miss it now that it's gone. Um, There's no longer in Toronto a full-time studio like we had. It's back to renting by the hour from other spaces. So it was a wonderful, magical time. It just wasn't enough for me to live on. 
there was this illusion. I think this happens not just with dance studios, but all sorts of businesses. I'm friends with some musicians, for example. There's this illusion that happens when you have a very cash-based business, where even if you're keeping all of your accounting legally and above, you know, you're keeping the books and everything is nice and clean in the books, there's still this feeling that you have cash, so you must have money. You know, you've taken cash and you've recorded it all, all of it. And then I would have, you know, always have this constant flux. We'd need a lot of $5 bills for <laughs> having the dance classes. You know, always this cash going and get smaller bills. And, okay, I can take what I need and record what I'm paying myself. It wasn't really until we were, you know, obviously there was ongoing monthly accounting and uh, quarterly accounting. But it was really at the end of the year where you start to realize this isn't evening out the way I thought it was. It felt like I was doing well. But actually, I, I never felt poor, but in the end, I was not really making money. <laughs> it didn't feel like it, but I, I, yeah, it, it's, uh, it would have caught up with me in another year, I would say. I didn't get to the point where I was really poor from it. I, I did see that it wasn't working out, and I stopped before I could become a completely bitter, poor, um, you know, I didn't want to ruin my Lindy Hop soul. It's always a problem when you look at your dance students and all you see is a money sign above their heads. Because that's what starts to happen. It started a little bit at the end. I know towards the end when I had some experienced students let me know that they needed a break, I couldn't help but feel like, oh gosh, I need you. I need your money. So I was really divided. The best things in life are free, but you can get Now let's get another perspective on the whole swing dance economy from Jana Grulichova. Originally from Prague in the Czech Republic, in 2007 Jana moved to Barcelona, where three years later she and a few others started a dance school that is now known as Swing Maniacs. A very small-scale affair at the beginning, today it is the biggest such organization in Barcelona, with branches all over the city and in other areas of Spain. Apart from the sizable teaching staff, Swing Maniacs also employs secretaries, accountants, consultants and cleaners. It's a full-blown business. It didn't meant to be like big, but uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 pretty big. It's pretty big, and we still wanted to keep it like really familiar. So that's why like each place that have like the own director and like each community still feel really familiar. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I don't want to pry into. Uh, I don't want to ask you how much money you make. Just to get an idea, is that enough to to live on? Basically, like some of the teachers, they working like full time. They earn monthly more than we earn <laughs> just teaching. So, but it's uh, it's kind of we we say well, it's the investition for the future. So what we do, it's we pay us like every month, like uh, our our rate. But uh, lots of teachers that we uh, we have in school, they have much higher rates than we as a directors. We can we can live from that, but it's because like we don't overestimate the the rate because otherwise, uh, like the money that we earn, basically we put it again in the school just now because we want to like improve things. We like develop the websites all all the time. We like changing not the uh, front page but it's more like the back page and we connecting everything so the um, 
creation of the classes and everything it's controlled all the contracts and everything there's like lots of programming and uh, then we have a web designer and uh, they also working for us like full time so there is lots of work in this this area hmm. to you does this feel more like a business or more like uh, like a community well it's community but we still treat it kind of you have to treat it kind of like a business otherwise it's difficult like you have to have control about the money that's going in going out and what you spend otherwise if you don't have the control then it's really easy as it big so you can have problems and <laughs> also there is lots of schools they are like much smaller than us they maybe don't uh, do everything 100% legal as as we are big school we are uh um, yeah everybody knows about you. Yeah, under uh, yeah, exactly we under the eye of everybody and so everything have to be real legal so all the teachers they have insurance and they have contracts uh, all the uh, workers they have contracts and we pay everything like legal way we have to pay what for everything and sometimes it's difficult because like in in Spain you should pay 21% of what of uh, dance classes if it's lindy hop and if it's uh, tap dance and there are some dances that they are like taken out of this group and you don't have to pay 21% but there's lots of schools that just like they kind of like put it in and they don't pay those 21% but as we are big we have to do it so sometimes it's difficult to deal with the competence because there are small schools that they can give like better prices for the classes they offer like direct money for the teachers there are other schools that are not from Lindy Hop that we talked with and we want to do kind of like uh, cooperative it's it's not like cooperative but we want to do uh, kind of a group because there is step dance school big step dance school it's it's completely legal like us then it's big salsa school in Barcelona that is also the same we would like to like kind of join all the schools that are legal and we would like to fight a little bit against the pirata that we say the pirates like <laughs> they're operating in black market because yeah <laughs> well it's it's not really fair because sometimes we are really okay we paying for for each students that's pay the money we pay 21% we give it to state and there is lots of schools that charging the same or a little bit less than us like maybe 5 euros less but they don't paying anything and they give the money like straight away to the teachers so it's mm, yeah Making the swing dance economy fair and transparent will not be the work of a moment. As we've heard, it's still pretty much a cash-in-an-envelope type of arrangement, but let's hope things will change. There's a limit to how much money swing dance can generate, so those who choose to make their living from it are taking a huge risk. Swing dance may be just a bit of fun for most of us, but for some, it's a serious business. That's it for this episode of From the Top. Thanks for listening. From the Top is brought to you by Iggy Hop. And as always, if you've got any comments or feedback or if you just want to talk to us about money, drop us a line at contact at igahop.at or on Facebook. Our website is fromthetoppodcast.com and if you're not a subscriber yet, subscribe now on SoundCloud, iTunes, Mixcloud, Stitcher or any other podcast app of your choice.
time.